Last week we um, began a, a heavy subject, suicide and suicidal thoughts, and I would like to continue that message. It's funny as you um, um, start thinking about a particular subject, different information goes by you, but when you're thinking about this subject, you start hearing about it more and more. And I happened to be in the car hearing a, um, a newscast, and in the newscast they said 63 people a day in America take their lives by gun. That doesn't count the ones taking their lives by driving dumb or jumping or medicine or overdosing, things like that. Just that small number. I do know that most of us uh, either have people, uh, you know, we know, or we know people who had close family members that have taken their life. It's a serious issue. It's recorded many times in Scripture, and the Bible has much to say about it. So I'm supposed to preach the whole counsel of God, so we're going to do that. I'm going to tell you right off, I am a little afraid because last week we looked at five individuals that had a death wish and they did not commit sin. There were other circumstances, some physical, some social, some um, just the situation that caused them to get where they're at. Today I'm going to talk about five individuals that did take their life because of sin. My fear is that people will walk away today saying, Brother Dolph says suicide is because of sin. Well, it can be, but not always. I hope I made that clear last time. If you're listening to this message and this is the first time you're hearing me speak on the subject, go back and listen to one to get the whole perspective. I don't want to make any mistake about that. But sin can be the cause of suicide. And I'm going to deal with five people where sin was the cause of their suicide. Okay, so with that being said, last week we looked at Moses, Elijah, Job, Jeremiah, and Jonah. And what we came to the conclusion, all five of these men had death wishes. Moses didn't do anything wrong that I know of in terms of a sin capacity. He simply was just overwhelmed by the ministry he had of the complaining people. And he got so beaten down where he just said, Lord, take me out. Elijah was also in a case where he suffered food and sleep deprivation for an extended period of time. He was so weary, he was so malnourished that he couldn't think straight. And he said, Lord, please take me out. He did not commit a sin. Okay, So we looked at those five characters that had death wishes and we noticed something in common with those five. What we noticed is they had got themselves in a place where they were isolated from other believers. God made us social beings. And when we get that down and out, what we do is usually withdraw. That's usually the worst thing you can do. You need to be around people. And that was the case in the five people we just looked at. They lost their perspective. They felt disengaged with God. The me monster started to creep into their speech. That's where everything was me, myself, and I. Everything depends on me. If you ever get to the point where everything depends on you, you're in trouble. Very little depends on you. Okay? Some things do, but not everything. They had some kind of unfit met physical need. And we talked about that. And this was the greatest part. God responded to all five of these, these people the same way. They, he took care of their physical needs. And then he said, get to work. 
He didn't say, oh, I feel sorry for you. I'm going to let you off the hook. He says, get busy. Some of the best things you can do when you're down and out is to get busy. And that's what he told these five. Okay, that was last Sunday. This Sunday, we're going to look at five other men. We're going to look at Samson, Saul, Abimelech, Ahithophel, and Zimri. I'm guessing there's a couple people in there you don't even recognize, but we will look at them. Now, I'm not going to preach whole sermons on each one of these. I'm going to hit some of the high points. You may want to go back during the week and look at Scripture and read above and below and get all the context of what's going on there. But I want to look at these five men. Now, just as a heads up, Lord willing, next Sunday will be the third installment of this. And I want to deal with some New Testament characters. I want to deal with Judas, Jesus, and the jailer. Okay, so that'll be next week. But for now, I'm dealing with five people in the Old Testament that actually took their lives. Now, there was a sixth person. There was a Paul or an, um, uh, uh, an armor bearer for King Saul, but the account is so brief that I couldn't draw any conclusions, so I left him off. But you may want to read about him too. Okay? But here are the five that had some pretty good history, and we can do that. My goal is to do the same thing, is try to figure out what's common in there. Okay, now, again, let's, let's just remind you, you're thinking, well, I'm not suicidal. This doesn't apply to me. Well, I think it does. Because if you ever get down in the dumps, these same things are very good for you getting yourself out of down in the dumps, even though you're not suicidal. But you may be have a friend or a relative or a coworker where you see some of these things going on and you may want to interject yourself so that is something you need to do. You need to study it. So it's for everybody. Okay? Okay. <clears throat> I'm going to start this message off, and I want to talk about the devil. Okay? The devil is a destroyer. He hates truth. He hates godly people. And he will do everything in his power to destroy and kill and maim. Thank you, brother. Cartoons make him look like some cute little thing with horn and pitch. No, he's way more wicked and evil than that. Okay? And he's real. I got some scripture I want to read to you, but I want to show you in this particular case, and this is what we went over last Wednesday. In, in, In Mark 9, there was a father that had a son that was possessed of a devil. But I want you to notice what it says about the devil that's possessing this young man. I'm just going to read 20 through 22. <clears throat> and they brought him. This is the disciples brought the son unto Jesus. There's a lot of pronouns there. And when he saw him, okay, straightway the spirit tear him and fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And Jesus asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And the father said, of a child. And oftentimes it cast him into fire and into waters to destroy him. That possessed devil goal is destruction. And suicide is one of those tools. Okay? And as we read forward, we found out that the disciples couldn't cast out this demon. And they went to Jesus after and they said, Jesus, how come we failed? And Jesus says, This kind goeth forth but by prayer and fasting. That is a good tool that when you're doing, you think, no, when you're down in the dumps, 
Last thing, I, I want to eat. I want to be happy. No, sometimes fasting is a good way to crank up the intensity of your prayer life. Okay? And that's what last Wednesday was about. It's kind of an addendum to this sermon for today. Okay? But that's all I'm going to go there. Okay, let me give you some verses. The first reference I want to go to is in 2 Corinthians 2.11. And Jesus is speaking to a church, and he's saying, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. He's got some tricks up his sleeve. You can all the way go to the book of Genesis, and we can read five of his tricks. Amen? He plants doubt. He adds to the word. He denies the word. He changes the word, and then he dangles something really nice in front of you. That's a lie. He dangles something you he cannot deliver on. And those are the devices. We, not, we don't want to be ignorant of his devices. <clears throat> Ephesians six eleven. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You know those seven pieces of equipment you have as a defense? The devil is going to search you from head to toe, up and down. And you know what he's looking for? He's looking for that weakness. He's looking for that hole. And what he's doing, that when he sees that little hole, that's what he's going to aim for. That's where that first dart's going. And once he gets an inroad, he's going to try to eat away from within. That's exactly ha- what happened to these five people we're going to look at. Okay? All right. Here's another witness, 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. I know of no way to oppose yourself any more than have the suicidal thoughts. That sounds like the epitome of posing yourself. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. He is looking to take you captive, okay? James 4 and verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, it's pretty hard to resist the devil when you're not submitting to God. I don't want to submit to God, but I want to resist the devil too. I got news for you. To try to resist the devil without God is to lose. You need to have God. You need to have his faith. can't do it. You're going to lose every single time. And then finally, 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to destroy you. Okay, so Satan is real. He's still real. And he's still got a little bit of freedom. He's still got a little bit of power until Jesus comes back and casts him in that eternal lake of fire. But, but for now, he's still got a little bit of time and a little bit of way. And to deny his existence is to set yourself up for tremendous failure. Okay. All right. So let's go look at the five characters. Okay, now as we look at these five, Samson, Saul, Abimelech, Ahithophel, and Zimri, I want you to start thinking, what do they have in common? What behaviors did these five have in common? What attitudes did they have? What was the situation in, in, in your particular situation? You're thinking, okay, but, but I'm not suicidal. Well, even if it doesn't lead suicidal, these are things that we need to be aware of. Okay, so the first one up is Samson. We can read his. His is, his is recorded in uh, Judges 14 through 16. Now, I'm going to p- cherry pick. I'm going to hit some of the high points, and I'm going to 
put these for you, and let's see if you can see the pattern, what happened in Samson's life. <clears throat> I want to start in chapter 14, and this is the book of Judges. We'll read one through three. And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman of Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her to me to wife. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren, or among all thy people, that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. In other words, he let his hormones do the choosing as opposed to his brain or his spiritual heart. Amen? And he was actually given corrective advice, and he ignored it. You got that? Mom and dad gave him some good advice. He said, no, no. You don't understand my case. I really love her. Has a biological parent ever heard that in 2022? Yep, dad, you don't understand. I love her. I love him. Okay? Chapter 14, 12 through 16. And Samson's wife, this is the woman that he just was um, arguing mom and dad for and got her, and said, Thou dost but hate me and lovest me not. Thou hast put forth a riddle unto the children of my people and hast not told it to me. And he said unto her, Behold, I have not told it to my father nor my mother, and I shall I tell it to thee? <clears throat> In other words, he had a secret, and she went and got the secret out of him. And as we know the story, as soon as she got the secret, she told it. And then she split. Okay? And Samson responded with anger. And Samson said, concerning them, now shall I be more blameless than the Philistines, though I do them a displeasure. And Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took firebrands and turned tail to tail and put firebrand in the midst of the two tails. So here's one instance. What happened was is he let his... Lust do his choosing for a spouse and supposed to his head or spiritual being instead of his counselors. When she failed him and held true to the pagans as opposed to her, he was <laughs> struck with anger and bitterness and he responded with anger. Let's keep on going. Chapter 16, verses 1 and then verse 4. Then went Samson to Gaza and he saw there an harlot and went into her. And then verse 4, then it came to pass afterward that he loved a woman in the valley of Surak, whose name was Delilah. Guess what? He's still being driven by not his head, not his heart, but his hormones. Amen? And she said, how canst thou say I love thee? Does that sound familiar? When thine heart is not with me, thou hast mocked me these three years and not told me the great strength lieth. And then he told her, and guess what? She told her folks, and they apprehended him, took away his strength, poked out his eyes, and he responded in anger. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee. See here, the me monster? 
Only this once, O God, that I may be once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. This was not a martyr prayer. This was a vengeance prayer. Amen? So if I had to summarize Samson, Samson's sin was repeated and allowed to escalate. He learned nothing from Satan's attacks. He ignored his advisors. He learned nothing from his advisors. He knew nothing from his first failure. And Satan began with carnal man and ended with spiritual man. Lust was, you know, he's, he's looking at Samson from head to toe. And he's looking for that little bitty hole. In his case, you know what the little bitty hole was? It was lust. Now we're going to look at the other five, or the other four, and they're going to have different holes. But the same procedure, he's looking for heads to toes, and Samson's was lust. And he went in there and lust, and then he let it eat and drive and like a cancer from within. And it was pride, and it was ego, and it was hatred, and it allowed to grow, and it destroyed him. And you know what? He killed himself. Hmm. Okay, one down, four to go. Let's see if we see this pattern over and over. Okay. Let's look at King Saul. Now, this is a really big account to get him. You almost have to read two-thirds of the book of 1 Samuel to get his account. But I've cherry-picked a couple verses. Verse chapter 13 and verse 9. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me, peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. You know what he did? He was from the tribe of Benjamin. And who was supposed to make the sacrifices in the Old Testament? People from the tribe of Levi. He offered something that was not for him to do. And God judged him for it. And Samuel said, you shouldn't be doing that. And he ignored the, the rebuke. And he did it again, chapter 15. In chapter 15, there was another war. There was another, he, God says, I don't want anything of that. Samuel, or not Samuel, um, Saul and the people took the best of the bullocks and made offerings, and, Sa and Saul was in charge of it. And Samuel comes walking up, and he says, what are you doing? First of all, that's the offering God didn't want. Second of all, you're not supposed to make the offering. Didn't you learn from it in chapter 13? And you know what he said? The people made me do it. The people made me do it. Chapter 15, 20 and 21, <clears throat> and Saul said to Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way of the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the chief things, which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Guess what? Samuel wasn't having it. Sin repeated, and it escalated. This is something else pretty interesting. I'm in chapter 16 now. I want to read 23, and then I want to read 19 and 9. See, Saul became this real melancholy fellow. And in chapter 16, his, his moods went up and down, <coughs> and his whole soldiers, the ones that reported to him, are looking at this crazy schizophrenic king that they're serving. And they said, wow, this guy's crazy. Maybe, maybe if we play him some nice music, it'll soothe him. 
And they looked around and they found David who was really good with a harp. And he plays the harp and in chapter 16 it worked, it suited them. You think that would never work? Well, there was a time in my past when, when I got a real bad headache or I was upset, Motown took care of it every single time. Now you're laughing, but that's true, okay? <laughs> that was B.C., before Christ. Okay, now hymns do it. But back then, Motown did it. But here it is, and, 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 he, and it worked. But when you get to chapter 19, guess what? David is playing the harp, and you know what he does? He chunks a javelin at him. It didn't work anymore. Because his melancholiness was allowed to escalate unchecked. He had advisors too, Saul did. You know what he did to most of his advisors? He killed them. So, hmm, let's, let's, let's keep on going. Okay, now I'm into chapter 18. So now he's getting to the point and he's starting to get jealous of David. The guy, the poor little young guy that used to be his armor bearer, that used to play the, 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 the songs to make him nice, the one that took, took out Goliath. Look what it says in chapter 18, verse 7. The woman said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very raw. He was angry. He was jealous. In verse 29, it says, Saul was yet more afraid of David because Saul recognized <clears throat> that God was with him. And Saul became David's enemy continually. Keep on reading about King Saul. So then Jonathan rises up. This is kind of like an advisor. Jonathan's own son, his biological son, next in line for the throne. He says, Dad, David's a good man. What do you keep on trying to kill him for? He's a good man. He's an honest man. He's a loyal man. He's done nothing against you. So you know what Saul does? Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and didn't eat no meat the second time, for he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. You know, if you read just a couple verses before that, Dad chunked a javelin at Jonathan, too. He tried to shish kebab him right to the wall. That's how this rage is escalating. And then finally, we get to the very end of his life, and he's in this battle. Chapter 31, verses 1 through 4. And Saul spoke unto his armor bearer because he'd been wounded in the war. And he says, draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. He was seriously wounded. So he took his, put the butt end on the ground, put it in there and just leaned forward and he killed, tried to kill himself. Okay, what can we learn from Saul Okay, let me give you what I've observed from Saul. Saul's sin was repeated and allowed to escalate. Saul learned nothing from previous failures. Confession was lip service. There was never any repentance. When he did repent, he said, I'm sorry, but it was only so he looked good in front of the elders. Saul ignored and eliminated his advisors. And then finally, Satan begat with carnal man and ended up with spiritual man. Do you remember when we, we, we looked at Samson? Samson had a little hole, a chink in his armor. What was it? It was lust, right? He used lust, gained an inroad, and allowed to corrupt the whole thing. What was Saul's chink or hole in his armor? I think it was pride. It was pride. 
I remember when Samuel was talking to him early on. He says, remember when thou was little in thine own sight? Now you're too big for your britches. It was pride. He made an inroad with pride, with, I mean, with Saul with pride, and he allowed it to grow to jealousy and hatred and paranoia, and it just grew and grew and grew. Okay? All right, let's go to number three. Number three. See, you didn't know how up to date the Bible was, did you? That's exactly what it was. So we need to take a look in the mirror. Well, my problem's not lust. Well, praise God, that's not your problem. Well, my problem's not pride. <laughs> well, just to say that probably is a problem, huh? No, but you so, say, okay, praise God, it's not. I'm humble. I'm more humble than anybody in here, right? Okay. But I don't know, I don't know what your hole is. We all got different holes, but Satan's good. He's looking from top to bottom. I know what your, he knows what yours is, and he knows what yours is. Okay. <clears throat> Abimelech. Abimelech. I'm in Judges chapter 9. This whole account is right here. Abimelech is um, <clears throat> a half-brother of Gideon's. Well, not a half-brother. A son of Gideon's, but half-brother to 69 other brothers. Or 70, 70, okay. Let me read this. I'm in uh, Judges 9, verses 1 and 2. And Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, that's Gideon, went to Shechem unto his mother's brethren. Okay, so Gideon had 70 sons by daughters that were of Israel. And he had this one other son, Abimelech, by another woman from another country. Got it? So he goes back home to the foreigners, his mother's house, saying, Speak, I pray you, in the ears of the, all the men of Shechem, whether it is better for you either that all the sons of Jerubbabel, that's Gideon, which are threescore and ten persons. Okay, Gideon's got 70 sons of Israel, and here's you, kind of a half-breed. And he says, For the people of Shechem, we sure would rather have you as our king than one of those 70. We know you're going to take care of us like you should be taken care of. Okay? Whether it is better, either that all the sons of Jerubbabel, Gideon, which are three score and ten persons, reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. Let's go to verse 4. Chapter 9 and verse 4. Look what he does. And they gave him, this is his mother's brethren, three score and ten pieces of silver out of the house of Baaleth Bereth, wherewith Abimelech hired vain and light persons which followed him. You know what that sounds like? He hired a bunch of yes men. You never want yes men as your advisors. Please don't ever call a preacher when it's my time to step down and hire a yes man. You don't want a yes man. You want God's man to tell you what the Bible says. You want a Bible man. Don't get mad at your husband. Don't get mad at your spouse if they're speaking Bible. Don't get mad at your mom. Don't get mad at your dad if they're telling you what the Lord says. You think you want that, and it may satisfy you for 30 seconds, but I guarantee you, long run, you don't want that. Okay, so he got rid of his advisors. You know, vain and light persons, 
Those kind of people irritate me. Well, let alone pay them to be around me. Okay. <clears throat> chapter 9 and verse 5. I can get so political now, but I'm, pe- I'm being a good boy. Okay. Chapter 9, verse 5. And he went up to his father's house in Orpah, and he slew his brethren of the sons of Jerubbabel, being threescore and ten persons upon one stone. Notwithstanding, yet Jotham, the youngest of the son of Jerubbabel, was left, and for he had himself. So what he did is, is, I want to be king. I'm going to get rid of the political competition. Who are the political competition? His half-brothers. How many half-brothers you got? Seventy. I'm going to kill them all. Well, he missed one. Okay, but he got 69 out of 70. Does that sound like sin? Yeah. Okay, let's, let's go back to the armor. You got this man dressed from head to toe in armor. What's his hole? Sounds like his power, huh? Power is his hole. <clears throat> Chapter 9 and verse 27. <clears throat> this is the men of Shechem. And they went to the fields and gathered their vineyards and trowed grapes and made merry and went into the house of their God and did eat and drink and cursed Abimelech. They turned on him. They turned on him. So then he was in this battle, and he was trying to get even with the people that turned on him. And I'm going to read chapter 9, 52 through 54. This is an interesting account. And Abimelech came unto the tower and fought against it and went hard unto the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman cast a piece of millstone on Abimelech's head and all to break, and and it, it broke his skull. Then he called hastily to a young man that was his armor bearer, and he said unto him, Draw thy sword and slay me. That's pretty much the same thing Saul did, but Saul's armor bearer wouldn't do it. But Abimelech's armor bearer did do it. You know what? I still call that a suicide. You can call it assisted suicide. It's still a suicide. Okay? Draw thy sword and slay me, that the men say not of me, a woman slew him. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. What can we learn from Abimelech? Abimelech surrounded himself with poor advisors. Amen? We need good godly people around ourselves. He was insulated from truth. Sin continued, to, continued and escalated without restraint. His thirst for power crosswired his thinking. That's exactly what happened. And then chapter 3, Satan began with carnal man and it ended up with spiritual man. Power was Satan's entry point. Pride and ego consumed him. It just ate him up. So, so again, let's take a big step back. Last we look at five people that had a death wish and it wasn't because of sin. This week we're looking at five people that had death wishes and actually ex- ex- executed it, but sin was in there. Brother Dolph's not saying sin is always the cause. But it can be the cause. And as you're looking and you're dealing with people and friends and neighbors and your children or your in-laws or uh, your parent, whoever it is, you look at this. And sometimes the most important thing is, is, is the sin in the life. Okay, You can't fight the devil without God. You draw nigh unto him and he'll draw nigh unto you and give you the strength to fight this thing. God, I think I'm going to handle this on my own. You're going to lose every time. Okay? Okay, number four. We did a study on Ahithophel. Boy, this was a cool study. We did this like in January. We were studying bitterness. I think Ahithophel is the most bitter man in the Bible. 
Let me give you his backstory. Do you remember the story, <clears throat> the account of, of David? And, and David was, one night he couldn't sleep, so he was walking on his castle wall, on his palace. And he looked out and he spied a woman that was taking a bath. Her, her name was Bathsheba. And he saw her and he said, who's that? And turned out he was one of David's mighty men's wives. And he said, I want her. Bring her to me. Oh, I wish David would have had a good advisor there. How much life would have been better for him if that advisor came back with one of his wives instead of Bathsheba? Could he get mad at him? I don't know. But he brought back Bathsheba. They came together. An illegitimate child was born. Well, it turned out, it takes some tracing to find this, but Bathsheba's husband was one of David's 33 mighty men. And it turns out that Bathsheba's father-in-law was one of David's mighty men. And Ahithophel was that guy's father. Okay? So David killed Ahithophel's grandson-in-law. Does that make sense? <laughs> he killed his grandson-in-law. And he was mad. See, he had been an advisor for David for years and years and been a very wise man and gave him solid advice. And Ahithophel is watching this and he's, and he's just eaten up. And he can't stand David. He can't stand David, what he did to his, his, his granddaughter's husband. He can't stand what he did to his son's son-in-law. And he's just angry and he's bitter up and he's driven by hatred towards David. Okay? Let's read this. <clears throat> I'm in 2 Samuel 15, verse 31. And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. So here's this grandfather of Bathsheba, and he's full of hatred. And he says, okay, I'm not serving David anymore. Absalom is trying to overthrow the king. I'm any, for anybody that's against David. So he becomes an advisor to Absalom. Okay? You know what his first piece of advice is? Hate-driven. Truth wasn't Ahithophel's advisor. Hate and pride was his advisor. Okay? Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Go into thy father's concubines, which he hath left and keep in the house, and all Israel shall hear that thou hast abhorred thy father. You know what he told Absalom to do? Go get all his concubines, put them on the roof of the palace, and commit mass fornication and let everybody see it. You know what drove that drove that's ridiculous advice? Hatred. Hatred did. Okay? <clears throat> Chapter 17, verse 14. So what happened was is some time went by, and Absalom has two advisors, one that was Ahithophel, who hated David, and there was another man that was friendly to David, and it was time to give advice to Absalom. Notice what happens here. Chapter 17, verse 14. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai, that's the one that was friendly to David, the archite, is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. 
For the Lord hath appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring evil upon Absalom. You know what they had? They had an advice showdown. Basically, that's what it was. And two people came to Absalom with completely different advice. Ahithophel says, give me a couple thousand soldiers and I'll hunt them down. He's, I think, 20,000 soldiers? I can't remember the number. 20,000 soldiers and I'll hunt them down and I'll wipe them out because he and his men are just flat wore out. And Hushai said, "Uh uh-uh. He says, he's too tricky. Wait till we gather a couple million and then we'll go hunt them down. You know how long it took to gather a couple million? A couple months. Gave, let David escape. So they have this advice showdown. Ahithophel's advice is ignored. Hushai's is heeded to. And guess how Ahithophel responds? Chapter 17 and verse 23. And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass and arose and got him home in his house to his city. And he put his household in order and he hanged himself and died and was buried in the sepulcher of his father. Hmm, isn't that interesting? Okay, Satan's looking at Ahithophel from top to bottom. What's the first holy sees? Hatred, right? Bitterness was at the root of Ahithophel's advice. Hatred and pride became Ahithophel's advisor. Satan began with carnal men and he ended up with spiritual men. Hatred was Satan's inroid. Pride destroyed him. Amen? Oh, Sins of cancer. And left unchecked and fed and allowed to go. Well, how does that happen? Withdraw yourself from God. Withdraw yourself from godly people. When advisors come to you, eliminate them. Or we might not be able to pull that one off like kings back then, but we could sure discount them or run from them or hide from them. Or block them on our cell phones. Not open their emails. You know know how the deal, right? Okay, we got one more. Kind of a real close account. Real short account. This is a man named Zimri. We can find him in 1 Kings chapter 16. Zimri. We're looking at five people that took their lives. This is number five. I'm going to read 8 through 10. In the 20th and 6th year of Asa, king of Judah, king began Elah, the son of Baasha, to reign over Israel. And he reigned two years. And his servant Zimri, captain of half of his chariots, conspired against him as he was in Terzah, drinking himself drunk in the house of Ezra, steward of his house in Tizra. And Zimri went in and smote him and killed him. So we got a political ladder climber, right? He's, he's nothing more than maybe a general. And here's this king who's been king for about two years, and he's out and he's just getting drunk. Zimri sees his opportunity. The guy's just plastered. I know that's not King James language, but he, he's drunk, right? He's inebriated, and he, go, and he kills him. And you know what? He claims the throne for himself, Okay. Chapter 16, verse 11, And it came to pass when he began to reign, as soon as he sat on the throne, that he slew all the house of Baasha. You know what? He got rid of all the political competition, just like Gideon's sons, and he slew all the house of Baasha. And not only did he slew his sons, he slew all his kinfolk, and he slew all his friends. 
Okay. 1616. And the people that were encamped heard say, Zimri hath conspired and hath also slain. And the king, whereof all Israel made Amri, captain of the host, king over Israel that day in camp. So Zimri had aspirations of becoming king. He took the throne, but the people of Israel said, nah, he's a liar to cheat. We don't trust that guy. And they made Amri the king. So how do you think Zimri responded? You know what he did? He went into his house, lit it on fire, and killed himself. Chapter 16 and 23, And it came to pass when Zimri saw that the city was taken, he went into the palace of the king's house and burnt the king's house over him with fire, and he died. He committed suicide. Okay, as Satan looked at him from top to bottom, Zimri murdered a king, the king's family, and himself. Zimri's sin continued unchecked. Satan began with carnal man, and he ended with spiritual man. Power was Satan's inroad with him. Failure to maintain that power destroyed him from within. Failure. Okay, so let's, 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 let's take a look at all five of these guys, right? We looked at Samson, we looked at Saul, we looked at Abimelech, we looked at Ahithophel, and we looked at Zimri. In your mind, is, have you been taking notes? Have you been kind of categorizing things or, or generalizing any common behaviors? Well, I got five. Let's see if my five agree with yours. Maybe you got one that I forgot. Okay, number one, unchecked sin. <clears throat> not only was sin not turned from, but it was allowed to escalate in each of these five people's lives. Amen? I think you know people that have self-destructed. That's usually the case. You can take something like drugs. They just get bigger and more powerful. You can take something like lies. They just get bigger and bigger, more encompassing, right? It just, it just escalates until it's just total despair. Number two, ungodly advisors. Not only were godly advisors ignored, but they were censored. Some were even killed. Saul killed a whole bunch of advisors. Number three, there was a void of godly companions. Not only just not having godly advisors, just hanging around godly people. Sometimes you see people and their behavior and you go, wow, that guy's weird. But at least it plants a seed. Well, he's happier than I am. You gotta be around godly people. That's what a local church is for, right? Matter of fact, that's the primary purpose of a local church. Four, Samson spoke at God, not with God. The other four didn't even do that. They stopped talking to God. Remember the first five we looked at? All of them were talking with God. They didn't commit suicide. Then we look at these five, they stopped talking to God. Who said Samson talked to God? No, he was not talking with God, he was talking at God. Try that. It doesn't work very well. All right? Remember in uh, Luke 18, there was the Pharisee that prayed with himself? He wasn't praying with God, he was praying with himself. I wonder how many prayers of himself he answered. Yeah? And then number five, once Satan gained an inroad, these men became prey to suicide, okay? With it being unchecked, with being without God, without godly friends, that cancer grew and grew and grew and grew. Amen? Okay. So, big picture. Suicide and suicidal thoughts. Sometimes... People get in a situation where there's something physical going on and it leads to 
suicide or suicidal thoughts. Sometimes people sin and it goes unchecked and it leads to suicide and suicidal thoughts. Lord willing, I'd like to come back one more Sunday and we want to jump to the New Testament and look at three people. We want to look at Judas, Jesus, and the jailer. And that'll be my concluding. And maybe I'll have some more answers. I think I've given you some things to think about and some things, behaviors to avoid and some to, to, to try to emulate. But I think the, the real hope will come when we start talking about Jesus. Okay? So Lord bless you.